Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at prayer and how to pray like Jesus. And we've looked at the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us as a pattern to teach us how to pray. And throughout the Lord's Prayer, there are several aspects, or you would even say types of prayer, that kind of make up the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus starts by teaching us how to pray by pointing our attention to our Heavenly Father and to respond to Him for who He is and for what he's done. And we talked about that last week as adoration, praising God for who he is and also thanking him for what he's done. And Jesus taught us that that's really the starting place for prayer. I hope as you prayed this past week, maybe you found the words coming a little easier. Maybe because you've thought about like all the things that you would praise God for. I think you could probably fill all of your prayer time with just praise for who God is. You could also spend all of your time in prayer just thanking God for who he is. But I want you to know that adoration, it's, it's bigger than just what to say during your prayers. I really feel like it's the foundation of how we pray and why we should pray. In John 14, that we're going to be just kind of walking through today a, a couple of those verses, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that trusting God is the same as trusting him, that he and the Father are one. And that was a big idea for them to get their arms around. He has just told these men, some of his closest friends, some really big news. He said to them, like, one of you is going to betray me. He said, Peter, you're going to deny you even know me. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried and come back to life. And their minds were blown at this point. All right. Now, 2000 years later, we kind of know all the story. We know the end of it and, and how it all works out. But for these men in this moment, it was troubling for them. And that's why he says, John 14, 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe also in God. Believe also in me. He tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to take you to that place. You know the way. And he kind of meant that as a, a statement, not necessarily a question, but Thomas, a, a man who's not given a lot of credit for his um, curious questions, he asked him, uh, Jesus, we, we don't know the way. Show us the way. And Jesus responds with a powerful declaration. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now, this is a powerful declaration about salvation, that there is salvation in no one else other than Jesus. But he's also making a very powerful statement about prayer, that through Jesus, that's our only access to the Father. Jesus states that they should know God because he has revealed God to them. You might know, I may have told you this already, but my three siblings and I all have Bible names. My parents chose Bible names for all of us. I have a sister whose name is Rebecca. I had an older brother who's passed away, but his name was Mark. And then we have a younger brother named Seth. The third son of Adam is also the third son of Bruce, if you say it that way, in our family. My parents are here with me worshiping today, and uh, this nice looking couple over here uh, get all the credit. Don't give them any of the blame. That's all on me, okay? So that's all on me. So I asked my mom, like, why did you name me Philip? And she said, well, Philip was one of the first disciples, one of the first men that followed Jesus. And when Jesus said to Philip, come follow me, he responded immediately. And also Philip first went then to a friend named Nathaniel. And you said, man, you got to come and follow this guy, Jesus. I have found the one who's the Messiah. Also, there's a beautiful moment in Acts 8 where this same Philip is uh, in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit prompts him to leave Jerusalem and go down to a place named Gaza. And on the way, he ran into this Ethiopian leader and he shared the gospel with him and got to baptize him. Those are the moments my mom had in mind when she know, named me Philip. 
But there's some other moments that are not so flattering with the same person named Philip, the person I get my name from. One of those is in John earlier, and uh, Jesus has compassion on this large group of people he's been teaching. And so he says to Philip, hey, how should we get enough food for them to eat? And Philip gives Jesus the two-handed salute. You ever got the two-handed salute from one of your kids? Like, I don't know. Who broke the jar? I don't know. That's the two-handed salute. And Philip's like, it would take a half of a year's wages to give all these people just a bite of food to eat. John says that Jesus knew what he was going to do even before he asked Philip, but he was trying to test Philip. I think in John 14, we see another moment that Jesus is testing Philip because he says, you know the father, I've shown him to you. And Philip says, Jesus, we we don't know the father. Would you show us the father? And Jesus' response in that moment was some really harsh, harsh, uh, Rebuke. Listen to what he says, John 14, beginning in verse 9. Jesus said, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak to him on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. See, Philip missed it. He'd been with Jesus all this time, and yet he had kind of missed Jesus' identity as well as the reason Jesus came. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, to give us access to the Father, to unify us with him. Yet Philip didn't recognize that because he lacked faith. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus knew the heart of the Father. The things that The father's heart beat for, Jesus' heart beat for. The thing that the father did, Jesus did. We can know the father through the person of Jesus. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that the son is the exact representation of the father. No one's ever seen God, but Jesus reveals God to us. And this is foundational to prayer. When we believe him, it changes the way that we approach him. We realize that we have access to the heart of the Father. And I believe that's why Jesus strongly teaches us that our prayers are be centered into who we're speaking to. This one who is worthy of all of our adoration. The one who's in control of all the universe. This compassionate, loving Father. It's from this place of worship and trust and confidence that we pray. Prayer is a a place for us to connect with our Heavenly Father. And if it's not, it's just really a bunch of hot air, right? It's a time for us to reflect on how he's revealed himself to us through his word, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit living in us, as well as through his activity in our lives. Prayer begins by trusting God for who he is, knowing that we have access to him through Jesus and taking his promises at face value. For the next few minutes, we're going to put some of the promises that Jesus made from John on the screen in front of you. And I want to challenge you to wrestle with these statements a little bit. I would ask you to ask yourself, which of these statements catches your attention? Which confuse you? Do you believe these statements that Jesus make to be true? Do you live as though they are true? And if they are true, do they change the way that you approach God in prayer? Check out these statements on the screen in front of you.
we now take a look at a promise that Jesus makes that relates to prayer. We read it earlier, John 14, verses 12 through 14. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You see why it's so important for us to start with trusting God for who he is in prayer? When we know him and we believe him, it changes the way that we actually approach him in prayer. When we know him, our our prayers begin to align with his heart. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we recognize who God is and that he can be trusted, we want his kingdom to reign. We want his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus says that we'll do what he has been doing and even do greater things. Now, last year, when we walked through the entire gospel of John, we paused here at this moment to kind of understand what does Jesus mean when he says, you'll continue to do the things I've been doing. And we really feel like that's our challenge to to live and to love like Jesus, to, to do the things that he's been doing. His invitation to follow him is it gives us direction and purpose and confidence and hope and peace. And the things that Jesus was doing, the work he's doing, we, we are called to those same things, like bringing spiritual light to the dark places of our world, offering healing and forgiveness to those who have been hurt or mistreated, humbly serving the physical needs of others, loving sacrificially so that others will truly, fully know the love of God, all following the example of how Jesus lived and how Jesus loved. And Jesus says, you'll do even greater things than these. Not greater in the sense of more sensational, but greater in magnitude. And you might say, well, that seems unimaginable or even unbelievable. But you have to remember where we find ourselves in the life of Jesus when he says these things. It's before he was crucified, before he resurrected, before he ascended to the Father, before he gave the Holy Spirit to his followers. After all those things happened, some really big things happened. Take, for instance, Peter. He preached a sermon, his very first one, on the day of Pentecost. And it says that 3,000 people were converted to faith in Jesus that day. Historians would say that was many more people that were ever converted to Jesus during his three years of ministry. Just one example. Jesus is still doing this work. It's just magnified. It's just, it's more expanded. Jesus makes two promises that I want to focus on for just a few moments that relate to prayer. Jesus says, I'll do whatever you ask in my name. You can ask me for anything. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying in the character and in the authority of Jesus. And when we do, we can have confidence that God hears and will answer our prayers. Now, Jesus is not prescribing some magical incantation that we recite so that we can get superhuman powers. What he's doing is commanding us to trust, to rely, to further his identity by his authority with his same agenda and motive. And Jesus had one motive. That was to bring glory to his heavenly father. It's an endorsement and a limitation when Jesus makes this promise. Jesus promises to answer any prayer that we pray directed toward bringing glory to God. God's work in and through our lives is meant to make his self great. Now, that's not narcissistic. It's, it's actually fair, and Jesus and God are worthy of that kind of attention. 
Through Jesus, we've been given access to God and authority to accomplish his purposes. And so when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're recognizing that we're not worthy on our own, nor are we capable on our own. To pray in the name of Jesus means that we acknowledge in our prayers that they're imperfect, but through Jesus, they're made perfect in the presence of God. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, answers this question. What does it look like to pray in the name of Jesus? And he says, imagine yourself as a beggar outside of the palace walls or outside the gates of a city. And you know there is no chance that you could usher your way into the palace, more or less the presence of the king. But praying in the name of Jesus, you're escorted into the palace, into the presence of the king who just happens to be your daddy. That's what it looks like when we pray in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that you have access to the presence of the king when you pray? To pray in the power of, of, of Jesus' name is to believe that the power is in Jesus and to believe that we've been transferred from this status of beggar into the status of child of the king. Hebrews 4 verses 14 through 16 speak about what transforms in our life because of who Jesus is. The Hebrew writer says this, therefore, since we're we have such a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find help in our time of need. The Hebrew writer says, because of Jesus being our high priest, we have access into the very presence of God. We can get help in our time of need. We can go there with confidence. Then look what Peter says about being priest. He calls us priests. He says, as we come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, we also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is our high priest and we are made priests through him so that our prayers are prayed in the presence of God. We have access to God just like the priest did. Our prayers are centered on the character and the activity of God. And they're offered in the name of Jesus, which gives us access and authority to help God accomplish his work here on earth, to continue the work that Jesus had been doing for God's kingdom and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have clarity and we have confidence in who God is and what he's doing here on earth. We have a promise that we can ask for anything in the name of Jesus that will help further God's glory and Jesus will do it. We're surrendered to his will to see his will accomplished. It's like Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way if it's possible, any other way, take this cup of suffering from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. We're committed to the work of Jesus in bringing glory to God in the way that we live and in the way that we love, continuing the work of Jesus. That's why we pray. Because we have access and authority to accomplish the work that God wants done here on earth. It's also why we gather we gather to worship and also to be equipped through studying God's word, to be encouraged and held accountable by others who are committed to this same work. And here on Memorial Day, we recognize that our gathering and the freedom to do so 
was provided for and still protected by people who sacrifice, who give their life even to make this privilege and freedom a possibility. And so therefore, we don't want to not take advantage of that. And the same is true when we pray. Because Jesus has opened up access to us with the Father, then we should be drawn to prayer. It should be the most important conversation we have in any day. It should be like air to, is to breathing, and breathing is to life. That's what prayer means to us so much. Would you join me in prayer right now? God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your character. We thank you for your activity in our life and in the world around us, God. And we believe in you because we have seen you through Jesus. We've seen the type of love you have. We've seen the type of power that you have. We see the, the type of, of importance that you should have in our life because Jesus was surrendered to you. He brought you glory. God, we wanna follow his example. God, I pray that we as individuals and we collectively as a congregation would have a, such a confidence in prayer and such a confidence in, in your faithfulness, your capabilities and, and your concern for us that prayer would be the first place we go. We would recognize the access we have as well as the authority we have that comes only in the name of Jesus. And it's by his name we pray right now. Amen. So if God has invited us to believe in him and know him, and he's made a promise like whatever we ask in Jesus' name, it will be given to us, then how does that change the way that we pray? Well, with complete trust in who God is and submission to his will, we take the opportunity and the privilege to present our requests to God through petition and through intercession. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to first pray, give us our daily bread. He teaches us also to ask for forgiveness for our sins. He asks us to ask for help to forgive those who have sinned against us. He asks us to pray that we would be delivered from the evil one. Petitions are prayers that we pray for our needs. And intercession are prayers that we pray for the needs of others. When our prayers are centered in God's character and activity and surrendered to his will and his reign, then we present our request to God. Paul tells the Philippians this, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Did you notice the words anything and every? I think those are related back to the promise that Jesus gives us in John 14. If we have access to our heavenly father who wants to give good gifts to his children, who when we ask for bread will not give us a stone or when we ask for a fish will not give us a snake, to the one who has promised to supply all of our needs. And he didn't withhold Jesus when our greatest need of a savior was present. That person is who we pray. And if that's the case, why shouldn't we pray, right? I made a couple of lists of reasons that people don't pray and they don't pray like Jesus. And the first is pride. Most of us think that we can handle life on our own. We think that our money, our resources, our connections can supply all the needs that we have. And if they can't, we certainly aren't going to admit it. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to look like we need help. And yet Jesus, Jesus was completely open and often declared that he was completely dependent on his heavenly father. To pray like Jesus is to be completely dependent on the father. Another reason that many of us might not pray is fear. 
What if we ask for the wrong thing? What if we ask at the wrong time or in the wrong way? And that paralyzes us when we come to pray. What if we look foolish for asking for something that we don't get? What if we tarnish God's reputation? I don't think we need to worry about those type of fears. We need to realize that prayer is not about getting what we want. Prayer is about aligning our hearts to the heart of the Father. And that gives us confidence in our request and also his provisions. Jesus prayed, take this cup away from me. And yet God didn't because he knew that it was through the cross he would receive the most glory. Another reason that we might not pray is cynicism. Maybe we've prayed for something and we didn't get it. Maybe we've prayed against something and it happened anyway. Maybe we've been praying for something for a very long time and nothing seems to be happening. I think in those moments, instead of being cynical, it's important to remember the definition of faith that Hebrews 11.1 gives us. Faith is confidence in what we cannot see, assurance of what we hope for. That's what is the center point, the foundation of prayer. Finally, maybe a reason to not pray is just unbelief. You're sitting here today and you don't believe that God exists. And if he does, you're not sure that you can trust his character. Well, I think pride and fear and cynicism All those, they grow as we get older. None of them are childlike. And I wonder if that's not why Jesus challenged all of his followers to have childlike faith. A child depends on someone for their every need. A child seeks and trusts the protection from others. And a child asks freely, unashamedly, and persistently. Every parent said, amen, right? There's a scene in Matthew, Mark, Luke, all three of those gospels record a moment where people were bringing their children to Jesus. And the disciples thought that Jesus was way too important to be interrupted. And so they, they kind of keep pushing the people away. And Jesus, Mark says, was indignant. Maybe you've seen uh, someone become indignant before. It's not a pleasant scene. And he just was furious that the disciples were doing this. And he said these words, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. The kingdom of God is a gift. And it's given to those who know they can't achieve it by human effort or by merit or claim. It's only to be entered by those who are helpless. And I think that's true when it comes to prayer. In the book, Giving Ourselves to Prayer, Alice Smith, one of the contributors, she writes this. Prayer is not a lovely sedan for a sightseeing trip around the city. Prayer is a truck that goes straight to the warehouse, backs up loads, and then comes home with the goods. Intercession is standing in prayer between what the Lord wants to do on the earth through our faithfulness to pray for the needs of others and preventing the devil's success. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but God's job is to create life. Our ambassadorial assignment is to stand in prayer, to represent others, and to drive away with a truckload of answered prayers. And Jesus said it for us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In accessory prayer, she writes, is calling for God's kingdom to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The things we pray for are things that matter to God and matter to us. And we have confidence in God's character as well as his activity. We're surrendered to his will and his work being accomplished in our lives, in the lives of others. And that's why we pray. We have access and permission 
to present our needs, our desires, our concerns to God, as well as the needs and concerns of others. We trust that he is caring and that he is capable. We want his will to be done and for him to receive the glory. And so we as his children, we come humbly. We come confidently. We come persistently because we believe and trust in him. And we expect him to work. For the past few weeks, we've been inviting you to join us in a specific prayer. It's a prayer for the unity of God's church. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you right now, just pull out your phone and text the word UNITY to 812-858-8668. And when you do, every day at noon, you'll receive a prayer prompt that would just allow you to join in this prayer with us. I want you to know that I see already God answering these prayers that we've been praying for the past few weeks. I have personally encountered moments where hurt has divided for way too long that God is bringing healing and reconciliation. I see conversations happening between people who have been at odds for way too long, who are now seeking each other in the spirit of reconciliation, forgiveness, and unity. I see partnerships forming that have not happened for way too long. And it's all because God cares about unity. It brings glory to him. And when we align our hearts with his and ask for his kingdom to come, his will be done. When we ask in Jesus' name, he answers. And so today, we're going to pray this prayer of unity together. In just a few moments, I'm actually going to invite you to take a posture of humility, a posture of submission by joining me on my knees, if you're physically able. And the reason we would take that posture of kneeling is we are desperate to see God move and to bring unity to his church. We also recognize that we cannot do it on our own, and we also are committing ourselves to whatever God leads us to do in the spirit of forgiveness, reconciliation, and unity. As we pray today, I'm going to also ask you to join me in praying for another congregation here in our city as we have the last two weekends. And today, I want to ask you to join me in praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ who worship at Nazarene Missionary Baptist Church. Nazarene Missionary Baptist Church is a multi-ethnic church over 102 years old. It's led by Pastor Larry Rasco. And Larry's become not just a, a friend, but a brother in Christ. He's worshiped with us here at Crossroads many times, and we enjoy our time together. I pray for Larry, his wife Trudy, often. And uh, like I said, I'm drawn to him as a man because of his faithfulness to God, his family, and to this city. Larry was pastoring at Nazarene Missionary Baptist Church when I was here in the 1990s, and he's still pastoring at Nazarene Missionary Baptist Church. And being a minister myself, let me just tell you, that's not the easiest job in the world. I appreciate Larry's faithfulness. And I want you to join me in praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ from Nazarene Missionary Baptist. This past year has been difficult for them. They've not been able to worship in person until actually the last couple of months here in 2021. That's been hard on their congregation. And as a multi-ethnic church, let me just say that this past year has been extremely difficult as well because of the racial tension and violence that's happened within our country. It pains them deeply. And so this morning we pray with them. We kneel on their behalf. We stand with them as our brothers and sisters in Christ because we know that this city needs forgiveness and reconciliation and unity. Our country needs those things, and certainly so does God's church. So if you're able physically, I would encourage you to join me on your knees. Let's pray together. 
We're going to put the prayer prompt that we've been using over the past couple weeks on the screen. And let's just begin with that prayer. God, we want to see you move. And we recognize, God, that our disunity has prevented that. And so, God, we're asking you to expose our brokenness, to bring healing, and to bring unity to your church. Why don't you just put that prayer into some words of your own right now and just pray that to God right now. God, because you are God, you're God who is full of grace and love, God who is full of compassion and mercy. It's because of your heart, God, and it's because of your character that you exist in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it's for all those reasons we worship you today. We thank you for how you've revealed yourself and your desires in your word and through your Holy Spirit in us. And God, we feel this draw, this, this compulsion to be unified, to be unified with you and your son Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we also feel the, the desire to be one with our brothers and sisters in Christ across this city and across this world. God, that we want your kingdom and your will to be done here on earth as is in heaven. And we know that unity brings glory and honor to you. And so, Lord, we bow before you, begging you to bring forgiveness and healing, reconciliation and unity to your church. And God, we also commit ourselves to deal with the things that have caused us hurt, to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us, Lord, to seek reconciliation with those who we have hurt. God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in each of our lives individually and collectively as your people through this congregation, through your church across this world, Lord. I pray that the world would notice that we live differently, that we don't hold grudges, that we don't keep people at arm's bay. We don't let things divide us that are petty or that other people would choose to separate from. God, we live differently. We love differently because we are surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus in our life. God, right now I lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ who worship at Nazarene Missionary Baptist Church. God, I thank you for the fact that we're part of the same family bought and paid for by the same blood of Jesus. God, we're going to spend eternity together. And I'm grateful, God, that the body of Christ, the family of God, is, is a very diverse group of people. We don't all look alike. We don't all uh, sound alike. We don't all think alike, God. But we have one thing in common, and that is you're our Father. We're loved by you. And we have faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit living in us. That's what bonds us together, Lord. And so I pray... Uh, a blessing over our brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray a blessing over Larry Rasco and his ministry at Nazarene, his commitment to uh, good things happening in this community, his faithfulness to the calling you placed on his life. Lord, I pray that we would deepen our friendship and our partnership and, and God, that together your church would be unified. 
This is something, God, we know only you can do. So we're begging you to. We're asking that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We want to just close our worship gathering today with an opportunity for you, if you're interested, to receive prayer from uh, our elders and pastors here at Crossroads. Let me read just a passage that's found in James. It's on the screen. Listen what these instructions about prayer have to say. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. These are biblical instructions when it comes to prayer. And I'm sure the, the elders and pastors of Crossroads would be the first to point out to you that verse 16 says that the prayer of a righteous person, any righteous person is powerful and effective. But one of the primary roles of an elder and pastor of a congregation is to offer prayer covering for the congregation. So that's how we're gonna end our time together today. We're just gonna give you the opportunity, if you're interested, just to come forward as we sing a song. And our elders, several of our elders and pastors are gonna just be up front. I just encourage you to introduce yourself and share what we could pray for you for, and we'll spend that time doing that. Maybe you're not comfortable, or maybe you're just not in a space where that's necessary for you. And so instead, what you might do is just stay right where you're at, and maybe think about Who's one person that you know of God has placed you in their life as an intercessor? Someone that you know is in need of prayer. And I would just ask you to to pray for them in this moment, but also commit to pray for this person through the next seven days. God may prompt you to take more action to that, but I just encourage you to use these moments for those two purposes. As we do this, we're gonna sing a song that reminds us whose presence we are in and also whose presence we enter when we pray. And that is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. So I'd encourage you right now just to stand with me, to join me in singing. And if we can pray for you, I'd encourage you just to come as we sing during this song.